Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So, so Paul is, is, is commanding the church at Corinth or encouraging, he's encouraging the church at Corinth to live into these principles, uh, these godly principles and godly commands of Jesus. And here's what happens. Oftentimes when we see the commands of Christ and we see what the Bible tells us to do, we look at these things and the first thing we think, we look with ourselves and we say, man, it's impossible. It's impossible for me to live this life the way that God called me to live it. It is, it is virtually impossible. And if you feel like it is impossible, I want to level with you today and tell you it is true. It is impossible for you to do it if you do it on your own. But the good news is God never calls us to something that he doesn't equip us for. And so the sermon series is not called impossible. It's called possible, not because it's based on you, but because it's based on the help that God gives us. And so so I want you to start seeing what God calls us to, not as impossible, but as possible, not because of your strength, but because of God's strength. Does that make sense to you guys? And so we see these commands. We need to not think impossible, but we need to think possible. And so last week we talked about one of the reasons why it is possible. And we looked at the importance and significance of why we need the cross, why we need the cross. And if you didn't, weren't here last week and you haven't been here for the rest of the sermon series, go back, watch why we need the cross, because it, it describes to us one of the fundamental reasons we can actually live the life that God has called us to live. The cross is actually the greatest demonstration of God's wisdom and God's power that we've ever seen. And so I want to give you a quote real quick before you take your seat and before we read the word of God. I want to give you this quote about the crucifixion of Christ. Here's what it says. It says this, the crucifixion of Christ is a demonstration of the heart and humility of God and that he has identified with sufferers and sinners in the world by reaching down and revealing himself in the crucified son. Here's the good news for all of us. The creator of the universe is no stranger to suffering weakness and humiliation meaning that whatever you've gone through if you've gone through suffering if you've gone through humiliation if you've been at the bottom the good news is that we don't serve a God who is far away but we serve a God who is near he came down and stepped right into our pain points and he's not there to absolve us from the pain but he's with us there in the pain that's, that's good news, and this is what the cross teaches us. Through the crucifixion, God leveled with humanity. He humbled himself and associated with the lowly. And in a city like Corinth, that was absurd, that was preposterous for a God to come down and level with humanity. The people in those days thought God was at the margins and man was at the center of all things. And so the wisdom of the age said that the foolishness of the gospel was absurd. It said it's considered foolishness. To them, and it's considered foolishness oftentimes in our age and also in our generation. But to us who believe, this foolishness is the wisdom and the power of God to those who believe. But there's a reason, another reason, why what have, may have been also foolishness to us at one point is now no longer foolishness. Not all of us grew up as believers. Some of us grew up in church. 
grew up in church and still didn't believe until you became an adult. Maybe some of us just, just became believers recently, although we have been in church and we served in church and we grew up there. There was a point in which what, what God preaches was once foolishness to you too, but now it is the wisdom and the power of God. To you, what you once saw as foolishness is now good news, and there's a reason why. And so we want to discover today, why is it that it now makes sense to us? Why it is salvific for us? Why, why it is God saving grace to us? And here's where we'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, and it says this, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, you've heard this quoted a thousand times in church before, if you grew up in church. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let us pray. Uh, God, we thank you this morning for all that you are, God. We thank you for all that you do. Uh, Father, we just pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand and grasp what you're trying to teach us today. God, I pray that as a result of today's message, Father, that we, we would live lives to the glory of God, that everything that we would do, God, we would, it would be done with the motivation, God, the heart posture that we want to please you, that we want you to be glorified in our lives, that we want you to get the, the fame, the glory, the honor from everything that we do. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us, you would help us, God, to grow, that you would help us, Father, to remain rooted and steadfast, God, that you would put our feet on a firm foundation this morning through the preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you today for everything that you're going to say and everything that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. People of God said amen. You may be seated. From the sermon series, Possible, the sermon title this morning is Why We Need the Holy Spirit. Why We Need the Holy Spirit. I, I want to pose a few questions for us this morning. For those of us who are believers in the room, have you ever pondered the question, what, what is it that calls this good news to actually connect to me? What, what is it that actually calls the good news to connect to my own heart? What, what is it that made the foolishness of what was preached actually make sense to me? What, what is the connecting point 
that, that, said, it, that said to me, hey, you, you should believe this and, and trust this. What, what, what is it? What was the connection point? What was the thing? What, what was the motivating factor? What were the circumstances that made me actually surrender my life and say, you know what? I, I surrender my life to the foolishness of this gospel that, that has been preached. You know, some of us grew up in church. Some, some of us grew up in church and we still maybe didn't believe for quite some time, some of us didn't believe until 20s, 30s, 40 years old. Maybe some of us heard about God but never really believed. Some of us grew up in church. Some of us may have gone to this thing they call vacation Bible school. Some, some of you went to VBS when you were growing up. Some, some of you got kicked out of VBS when you were growing up. Some of us remember this old relic that used to happen on Sunday morning before church. It was called Sunday school. Some of y'all remember Sunday school, bright and early, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, an hour-long study of the Bible even before your five-hour church service started. Some of us remember Sunday school. That's why you remember, remember you learned the fundamental things of the faith. You, you remember those things. Some of us even remember this other old relic called midweek service. Some of us remember a, a Tuesday or Wednesday midweek service, which was supposed to be Bible study, but it ended up being a regular church service. How you know? Because they also took an offering at the Bible study. So some of us remember midweek service, and, and some of us participated in all of those things. Some of us remember Easter speeches. Some of us did Easter speeches with your bright yellow dress on. You did it, and then you, then you went outside for the Easter egg hunt. Some of us remember that, and we grew up in church and around church, but some of us still never understood and received and accepted the gospel. We participated in all of that stuff, but the dots never seemed to connect with us. And then in later years, it finally made sense. It finally made sense. And the question then becomes, is what, what is it that caused me to recognize my sin and my need for a Savior? Well, what is it that, that caused me to one day say, oh, my God, I am a sinner and I need God's grace. My sin has caused me to need a Savior. What was that? What is it that caused me to hear, receive, respond, and trust in the finished work of Jesus? But better yet, why is it that the dots connect for me and make sense to me, but some of the same people who've heard the same message, the dots still have not connected for them? What, what is that? Why is it that some of my friends can't receive this hope that I found? What, what is it that some people that were just like me, that grew up in church just like me, and now they want nothing to do with God or his church? What, what, what is it? What is it that connected to me versus them? What was it that I, I was a better person than them? Is it that I'm more intelligent? If, if, if you say you're more intelligent, then the question then becomes, why is it that the strongest and the wisest people throughout the ages and even in our generation still don't grasp the plan of God's salvation? What, what, what is it that, that what, am I a better person than them? I know what it is. I lived a better life, so it made more sense to me because I had less stuff to give up. What, what is it that caused the good news to land squarely in our hearts? What if I told you it had nothing to do with you? What if I told you it had nothing to do with you, but that which has made you alive in Christ had everything to do with something on the outside of you? That, that you didn't just wake up one day and have an epiphany and say, I need God. It, I need God. That didn't happen naturally. There was something that was outside of you that caused you and I to believe. 
And it is the wisdom and the power of God that, that we believe. But here's what it says in verse 6. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature. This wisdom of God that, that we have, that, that, we, that we have, that we possess. Let me say this. The wisdom of God was not gotten by you. It was given to you. The, the wisdom of God was not gotten by you. I got it. On my own, own effort, my own work, I got it. No, you didn't get it. It was given to you. It was given to you. And he says we speak a wisdom among the mature, the mature, talios. Talios, the word means complete or whole. We speak a wisdom among the mature. Now, oftentimes in church or we read the Bible, we see the word mature, and we automatically make a distinction between the spiritual mature and the spiritually immature. But that's not what Paul is actually doing in this text. Paul doesn't make a provision to, to, to uh, distinguish between those who are spiritually mature and those who are spiritually immature in this particular text he's not dividing those who are deep or super deep versus those who are shallow he's not dividing those who read their bible every day and those who rarely ever read their bible he's not dividing those who pay their tithes and those who don't pay their tithes he's not he's not dividing the ones that finished the, the entire week long fast even on friday and those who gave up on monday he's not dividing those two the mature is not between the you know how you guys do it I'm saved, but you save, saved, saved. God is not making the distinction between the saved and the saved, saved. That's, that's not what he's doing. When he says the mature, he's actually talking about all believers. We speak a wisdom among everyone who believes and trusts in Christ as a crucified Savior. The word mature there in the original Greek language means complete and lacking nothing. We speak a spiritual wisdom among those who are complete and lack nothing in Christ Jesus. We speak a wisdom among those who love God, those who are in relationship with God. And so in this particular text, when Paul says we speak wisdom among the mature, he's talking about all Christians. But he says we speak a wisdom among the mature, this cross, this gospel, this, this wisdom of God. We speak, those, we speak it amongst those who trust and believe in the gospel, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So you see, the wisdom of this age is a wisdom that's more concerned with endless information and inspiration that points everything back to man as the ultimate among all things. The wisdom of the age says everything is about man and man's conquest. The wisdom of the age says everything is about man's pursuit to satisfy himself in whatever way he sees fit. The wisdom of God says there's power and humility and weakness and self-sacrifice. The wisdom of the age says, do whatever you got to do, whenever you got to do it, to get whatever you got to get. And so he talks about the mature can understand the wisdom of God, but, but, but the, the, the mature can understand that. But the wisdom of the age says, no, the, 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 all, the, all the pursuit that we have in our life is centered towards man doing what man wants to do. And so the wisdom of the age cannot see our gospel. They cannot get our gospel. No amount of information about God will suffice for them. We can preach until it blue in the face. But if a person is intent on not understanding, they will never understand. And you keep banging your head against the wall trying to convince an unbeliever to believe, and you're wondering why they can't. 
But the truth of the matter is, if we look at 2 Corinthians 4.3, it's not on the screen, but I'll give you this. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, but if our gospel is veiled, meaning covered, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That they cannot see the gospel. And what does the text say about the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age? They, they are coming to nothing, meaning that all that believe this way, all that have the worldview, that everything is about you, it leads to nothing. It leads to destruction. It leads to perishing. And so this is what sin does. Sin makes us believe that everything is about us. And sin blinds people to the message of the cross by having a hyper focus on man's individual pursuits. Man is blinded to the self-giving, self-sacrificing message of the cross. And this is not just the world's struggle. This is also our struggle and our temptation, too, to have a worldview of this age, even among those of us who serve in the local church, even in those of us who are saved, who serve here. Because when we start to think about ourselves, it causes us to act out in divisive ways because we want to get our way over and above the good of serving other people. And so this is what sin does. This is why man's pursuit is all about man. And the challenge for the Corinthian church and the challenge for us is that we live in an age of culture where we are, uh, we are just uh, bombarded by messages about get whatever you got to get, however you got to get it for you. And the wisdom of the cross says it's not about you getting everything for you, but it's about you serving other people. But sin, our sin blinds us to this. They were so blinded by the wisdom of the age that God sent them help to save them. And they killed the very one that God sent to help them. Be careful when you're so blinded that you're looking for a certain thing that when God sends you help, you can't even recognize it. God gave them a clue about what he was doing through the prophets. God gave them a clue through the prophet Isaiah. He forewarned them what their salvation was going to look like. He kept speaking to Israel. He kept speaking to the Jews. Hey, hey, I'm sending a Messiah. I'm sending somebody to you. I'm going to save you. He's coming at some point. And so we get to verse 9. And so I want to say this, verse 9. I want to read verse 9. Verse 9 says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. Now, you've heard this. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this in, in certain, spe in, in especially certain traditions. You've heard this. No man has seen it. No eye, no ear has heard and No eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him. And, they just, and, and to them, that means you're about to get some unexpected blessing that you didn't see coming. You're about to get the car and the house of your dreams. Oh, man, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no in the heart of man what God is about to do. And typically, it's centered around it's centered around materialistic things that would appease our flesh. And we've heard this time and time again. But the truth of the matter is God was getting ready to do something supernatural. God was getting ready to do something extraordinary. God was getting ready to bless their life. And it's accurate to a certain extent. But what God was actually getting ready to do, what no eye had actually seen and what no ear had actually heard and what it had not entered into a heart or heart could conceive that God had planned for them that loved him was that God was sending them a savior not to rescue them out of their circumstances but to rescue them from their sin and so that doesn't sound as enticing as a car does it but this is what the prophet Isaiah was spoke, spoke so when Paul writes verse 9 he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah was essentially saying this God is about to shock the world God spoke 
through the prophet Isaiah about a coming suffering servant who was going to save his people. He is not going to look like you expect him to look. He's, he's going to leave you speechless. You won't be ready for what he's about to do. You will look on in disbelief. His work is going to look like failure. But just when you think it's over, he's going to blow your mind. Now, what is he referencing? He's referencing the cross and the resurrection. You won't expect the suffering Savior to come like he's coming. But when he does come, be, get, be ready to have your mind blown because he's going to die. It's going to look like defeat. But actually, that defeat is victory because what he's doing is dying for your sins. But don't worry about it. On the third day, I'm going to raise that Savior to life. And when he raises, you'll be raised with him. And, and that's good news. And so this is what he was trying to prepare them for. What he was trying to prepare them for was the work that God was about to do in their hearts. But it was too much for their mind to handle because the people wanted a savior that was coming to get them out of their predicament, not save them from their sins. And oftentimes we want God to get us out of the situation first before he deals with our sin. But what if I told you that God would rather deal with your sin than deal with your situation? What if I told you that the gospel was there to save you from your sin, from your addiction, from that thing before it's trying to get you out of a circumstance? That God would rather heal your heart before he heals your hand. And this is what he's saying to them, but because they had perceived God to be and come in a certain way, they couldn't handle what God was actually doing among them or what God was about to do among them. But for some, but for some, they could see it. For some, they could see what God was doing because God had revealed it to them. God had revealed it to them. And this is what happened to us. God has revealed the good news to us. If you are a believer and you are in Christ, God has not left you blinded. You can now see. But the reason that you can see is because of God, not because of you. And God has used a means to do this for us. And so now we find ourselves in verses 10 through 13. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit, look at verses 10 through 13. It says this, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual, spiritual people. So back to the question, what? is it that has caused the good news to land squarely in our hearts? And the answer is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just give a little background on the Holy Spirit because I don't want to assume that everyone knows what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is or what he does. And some of us may have a misconception about the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you this, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Holy Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is not a New Testament phenomenon. What if I told you the Holy Spirit was there at creation? That the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep? 
the Holy Spirit was there when there was darkness and there was chaos and everything was disorder and disarray. The Holy Spirit was there hovering. The Holy Spirit is not a new phenomenon. The Holy Spirit has always been around from the beginning, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Son. The Holy Spirit is not lesser of the, not the lesser of the two. He's co-equal with both of them. But, but he exists in perfect harmony with the Godhead. This Holy Spirit, we need him. He's so powerful. This is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same Spirit lives on the inside of you. Let me tell you this. I'm going to blow your mind. The Spirit is a person, not a ghost. What if I told you he was the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Ghost? When I grew up, when I grew up traditional church, I didn't understand. <clears throat> because you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you caught the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was something you caught at a certain time in the sermon. If the music was high, you could actually catch the Holy Ghost. At the end of the preacher's sermon, if it got real good, you catch the Holy Sermon. That the prayer time before the preacher preached and after the choir song, you could actually catch the Holy Spirit. And as a young child, I was always amused that people were catching the Holy Spirit. And it always seemed like the same people caught him every week. They had a better glove than the rest of us. He, and, and, and it seemed like he would always come down the same rows in the same sequence with the same people. It's amazing. He, he, he just was so elusive. He was, a, a, he was like Casper. He was just going in and out of places. No, no one could catch the ghost. He used to come by my room. Like, oh, my God, I, I missed him. I was like, man, I, I got to catch him again next week. And, and it was just this emotional thing, this ghost that you caught. And then after church, the same person that caught the ghost must have let him go because they were cursing somebody out in the parking lot. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, so I, I just thought the ghost growing up was something that came at a certain time on certain people for certain reasons. But what if I told you that the Holy Spirit is not something that you catch, it's something that you possess. Something that every believer actually has. That you get the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Some of you have been told that, that, that you don't get the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You get saved. Then you catch the Holy Spirit at another date and time. And the evidence is that you speak in tongues. But what if I told you that that's not what Scripture tells us? That you can have the Holy Spirit and never speak a tongue a day in your life. Now, some of y'all like, I'm out of here. Yeah, I know you're going to have a scripture for me, but I'm, I'm sticking with my tradition, homeboy. The truth of the matter is, is that if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, you got him at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the reason that you're saved and the reason that you are still saved. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. Here's what you say. Here's what it says. In him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when? When you believe, not when you spoke in tongues. Not when you got happy in church. That's what they called it in my church. You, didn't, you caught him. You, and then we talked about who got happy at church. So what if you 
not something you catch, but something that you already have. So we talk about the baptism of the Spirit. What about, what about Ephesians where it says you, we need to be filled with the Spirit? Let, let me explain something to you. The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. I'm a part of the body. At the moment of salvation, you were baptized with the Spirit of God. He's in you. He possesses you. He's in your heart. You can't get rid of him. If you've truly been saved, you have the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that my body belongs to him. If I'm baptized by the Spirit, means that I belong to Christ's body. But if I'm filled with the Spirit, that, believes that my, means that my body actually belongs to Christ. And so Ephesians tells us, be filled with the Spirit, meaning that I can grow in the Spirit. I can grow. I can be more aware and more conscious of the Spirit's presence presence in my life but it also tells us at some point don't quench the spirit meaning that I can suppress him and ignore that which is in me and so every Christian has the Holy Spirit and we get him at the moment of salvation and here's why this is important the reason why you and I heard the gospel for those of us who are saved and we responded to it and we trusted in it was not because of our own intellect but because the Spirit of God made our minds alive to hear and understand and respond to the good news of the message of the gospel. It was a work of the spirit. He is the thing that was outside of you that became inside of you and made you alive in Christ. It, it is what made the work of Christ effective in your own heart. It was the work of the spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need him every day to do everything that God has called us to do. When Jesus uh, is resurrected and he's with his disciples, he tells them, he says, hey, I know I told you to do my work, continue the work that I did, but, but don't do it. Until I send you this gift, I want to send you something. And what I'm going to send you is the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so don't go anywhere until you have the Spirit. We need him. First Thessalonians 1 and 6 says, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Paul tells them at the moment you heard the gospel, the reason why you responded is because the Holy Spirit enabled you to respond. So here's how that works with the wisdom of God. Here's why we can understand the wisdom and the wisdom that's spoken amongst the mature. The spirit helps us to understand and apply the work that Christ has already done. Let me say that again. The spirit helps us to understand and apply the work that Christ has already done. If you want a simple description of the Trinity and how they work together. The father sins. The son accomplishes and the Spirit applies. The Father sins, not S-I-N-S, forgive my country accent, sins, S-E-N-D-S. The Father sins, the Son accomplishes what the Father sends him to do, and the Spirit applies the work of God to our hearts. One God, three persons. So here's why we can understand the heart of God. Verse, heart of God, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. If that's true for humans, that nobody knows you like you know yourself, then it's the same thing with God. If someone wants to know what's going on in your mind, they have to actually talk to you. They have to actually talk to you to understand what it is that you're thinking. You have to actually reveal it to them. And so if, if, it's, if it's one God and three persons, who better to reveal the heart and the mind of God to us then God himself, and he reveals it to us through the Holy Spirit. God sends his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us information about God. 
It gives us transformation. Spirit knows the inner workings of God like a person knows the inner working of themselves. Except spirit is that much better. So here's the point. The point is that the spirit helps us to commune with God and know God. Holy Spirit communicates and helps us comprehend the wisdom of God. And so when you read your Bible, I recommend you pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help understanding. When you're headed to work, I recommend that you ask the Holy Spirit to help you at your workplace. Some of you need more of the Holy Spirit at your workplace than others. Some of you, when you're driving to see your family, I pray you ask for all the Holy Spirit has to give you. Because some of us need more of the Holy Spirit than others. But we need him. Everything that we do that God calls us to, we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit ain't the only spirit that's working. And here's why the world can't understand him. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. Here's what it says. It's amazing. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit, lowercase s, now working in the disobedient. There's other spiritual forces that are out there that are working to influence the minds of other people. Right. And we can never be. So so here's the thing. Another thing about the Holy Spirit possessing believers, a believer can never be possessed by another spirit. So when you see another another believer and they're they're acting out of character or acting crazy and you say they got a demon, you have a decision to make. Because to say that a believer has a demon inside of them is to say that they're not a believer. So it could mean one or two things. Either they are being influenced by a different spirit, not possessed by, but influenced by another by another spirit, or they may not be a believer at all. But there is another spirit that works that blinds people to the gospel, that blinds people to understand the things of God. They can't understand it. But we have the spirit that comes from God so that we may understand the gift that God has freely given us. This is what the scripture says here. The free gift of salvation that has come to us through the Son, we can understand that because of the spirit of God. God has freely given us this gift, not by works, not by merit, not by earning. Salvation is the free gift of God given to all those who trust in the finished work of the Son, Jesus. And we understand that because the spirit has opened our mind to understand this spiritual concept. We understand understand this because of the spirit of God and here's why God's wisdom is not received by the world verses 14 through 15 I'm almost done here's what it says but the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolish to him he is not able to understand it since it is spiritually evaluated the spiritual person however can evaluate everything and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone and here's what this means the person without the spirit cannot understand this an unredeemed person cannot grasp that since he is blinded by his own sin it is foolish to him and so he cannot accurately assess what is actually going on in the spirit where things happen in the world you and I see demonic forces at work but the carnal person just sees stuff happening so we look at world events we look at what's happening in the world in Ukraine and Russia we look at this and some people say oh there's just two countries going to war 
But what if I told you there are hundreds of thousands of Christians living in Ukraine? What if I told you that there are several churches being uprooted right now? And so you could just think it's a war between two countries, but, but what if it's deeper than that? What if there are principalities that are at work? We have to learn to see things and perceive things through God's eyes and through God's lens, but the Spirit helps us to do this. It's not to say you go be deep and, and call everything. If they get your order wrong at Bahama Breeze, that doesn't mean that it's a spiritual attack on you, all right? Relax. Relax. It's not a spiritual attack if I-4 traffic is jam-packed and you left the house late and now you're late for work. It's not the devil's fault. You didn't have any discipline and good stewardship of your time to get up and wake up on time to get to work on time. It's your fault, not the devil's. Everything is not the devil's fault. All right? Don't be that deep. Don't be that deep. You get pulled over. You're driving 99 miles an hour in a 40. It's the devil. It's Satan. He's trying to stop me from where I'm trying to go. No. It's the police behind you doing his job, following the spirit, arresting you who are being influenced by the demons to drive this fast. You can hurt somebody and yourself. Stop it. It's not the devil's fault. It's yours. Don't be that deep. But if you keep hitting a wall of resistance when you try to do right, when you, when you keep, keep doing the right thing and it seems not to work out for you, when, when there are certain things that, that you are praying for and you sense something is off, you sense something is wrong, maybe you're not being too deep. Maybe that is your discernment, your spiritual discernment that is kicking in and you're realizing and trying to perceive things for what they really are. So we have to be mature enough to, to, to balance that. But here's what it means. The spiritual person can evaluate things spiritually. It means that we can... See God's perspective in every sphere of life. That we can see God's perspective. That we have a different worldview. That we know that all things ultimately are for the glory of God. That if we are suffering, we can see our suffering through the lens of the Spirit. We don't see our suffering as just stuff happening to us, but we see God working through our suffering. We see everything in life through the lens of the Holy Spirit. We know that our job is not about our job, but that we are working as unto the Lord. That we are working and living on mission. That even at challenges at work or opportunities for us to bear witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Spirit does for our mind. It brings those things to our memory and to our mind. Because we have the mind of Christ. And here's what it says in verse 16, and I'm done. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And once again, he's quoting Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 40 that Paul is quoting. And here's the context. People were trying to figure out or comprehend or interpret the heart of God and people were like perplexed about how do we understand what God is doing among us? Who can answer the question of what is God intends and what God is doing? And the answer is only God himself can interpret or, or, or determine what God is actually doing and what God is actually feeling. God can only determine that. But the good news for us is we have the Holy Spirit. 
spirit who is a part of the Godhead, who is actually God himself, who is interpreting the heart of God for us. And so the spirit gives us the mind of God by giving us the mind of Christ, meaning that we can understand God, that we can understand God, ourselves, others in the world that we live in because we have the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Here's how this fits into the whole context of unity. Christ calls us to a certain kind of life. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And so the, the Spirit of God allows us to see that because of Christ, we no longer live for our own self-interest, but God has called us to put other people before ourselves. And this is the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ is to have a cruciform mind, a, a cruciform life, a life that is shaped by the cross of Christ. It requires that we put, de put to death our selfish ambitions. We humble ourselves. We give ourselves to other people. The mind of Christ is focused on what's good for all of the community. The mind of Christ is actually the antidote to division and dissension in the body of Christ. Because if I think like Jesus... I'm not concerned about getting my way. I'm concerned about how I can serve somebody else. The mind of Christ says I can humble myself and not make it the end of the world because the church didn't accept my idea. The mind of Christ says, you know what? They asked me to serve in this way. I don't really think, think I'm particularly gifted in doing this. But if that's what they need, that's what I'll do. Because a savior has no business on a cross either. But that's what he does for us. He's on a cross. I read to you second, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It's not on the screen, but I love this. I read it every Sunday almost. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So in that we see Christ's selfless sacrifice, his obedience sets the tone for life within Christian community. And here's what Paul is trying to convey. If you have the spirit of God in your believer, which believers do have the spirit of God, the spirit of God gives you the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ is a mind that that says I will put others ahead of myself and I will serve other people so that they can have an advantage over me. And if your first thought is like, well, but what if I lose something? But if all of us are doing that together, no one loses. No one loses. Because we're all serving each other. We're all trying to figure out how we can put each other in an advantageous situation. And this is what he calls them to do. So the spirit of God says, this is not about me. But this is about serving other people. For the glory of God. So when Jesus got up out of that grave. He got out of the grave because the spirit raised him from the grave. And the same spirit that raised Jesus. Has raised you too. We share in Jesus' resurrection life. Romans 8 and 11 says this. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. And ultimately, the life that Paul is calling them to is a life that brings glory to God. The cruciform life is a life that is a life that brings glory to God. The wisdom of the age calls us to live a life that only brings glory to ourselves. But what does Christian community look like? If we all lean into what the Spirit is doing, and we strategically, intentionally, try to figure out ways how we can outdo one another in serving each other. You know what would happen? Jesus would be glorified. You would grow exponentially in your faith if you made a decision to serve other people. And this is what God calls us to do. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand the heart and the mind of God communicates what God does and he applies it to our hearts so that we can live it out. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. But this is also why it's possible. You can live the life that God called you to live because you have the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.